0: I hope you'll turn in your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 19. It's going to be on the overhead, but I hope that as we read the Word of God, uh, you do make notes, not of what I say, but of what the Word of God says. And I pray that you would allow the Spirit of God to speak. You know, it worries me sometimes that worship is not looked upon as something that God's in the middle of. We, we emphasize ourselves, we emphasize the sermon, the music, and all those things are good and important, but what we must emphasize the most is that God is meeting here with you, his people, you and I, his people, and God wants to speak. Would you allow him to do that today? If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, would you let him speak to you today through the words ahead? And as Christians and as a church, would we let God speak our hearts? Let's pray. Father, because you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords, we come to bow before you in our hearts and minds today. And because you are alive and eternal, Lord, help us to know that you are here right now. And because you love each one of us so much, help us to know that you want to speak to us, whether we are a believer or yet to become a believer Father, may we just allow in the moments ahead the Spirit of God to take the Word of God and speak to our needs and speak to our hearts. God, I thank you for these who come so very faithfully, and I pray that this will never, ever be wasted time. But, Lord, it would be time in which we are in your presence and we hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to read these verses of Scripture one more time, Uh, Luke chapter 19, verses 11 through 27. This will be our last Sunday on this, and we'll move on, okay? And as I've told you many times, the more I read a passage of Scripture, it seems the more more stands out about that passage of Scripture. So as we read this, I want to make just a couple of quick details or point out some details, okay? Luke 19, beginning with verse 11. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive a kingdom and then return. Now, please notice four times, and I'm going to make mention of this, four times in this parable, the nobleman comes back. He returns. This is the first mention in verse 12. Verse 13, before the nobleman left, calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten pounds and said to them, Trade with me, trade with these till I come. The second mention that he's going to come back again. Listen to the response of the citizens in verse 14. But his citizens hated him and sent an embassy after him, saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. This nobleman going to the headquarters, so to speak, is going to receive the kingdom, and he's going to come back to rule. But there's already a group amongst the citizens who say, we do not want this man to reign over us, and they hated him. But look at verse 15, when he returned. The third time, folks, do you think Jesus is trying to say something Just as the nobleman would return to his country, so the Lord Jesus Christ will return to this earth. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he commanded these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by trading. The first came before him saying, Lord, your pound has made ten pounds more. And he said to him, well done, good servant. Because you have been faithful in a very little, you will have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, "Your, Your pound has made five pounds. And he said to him, And you are to be over five cities. Then another came, saying, Lord, here is your pound, which I kept laid away in a napkin. Now look at verse 21. Listen to what this man says. For I was afraid of you. Now you know the first couple of times I read that, I I didn't catch this. And I'm just wondering, Luke doesn't tell us, the Lord doesn't tell us, but you know, I don't believe he's telling the truth. If this man truly would have been afraid of his master, don't you think he would have worked hard to make sure that his pound gained more, like the other two had? I think this man is in essence telling a lie. I don't think he was afraid. I believe he was simply too involved in his own life to serve the master. Does this sound like fear to you? Well, master, I just laid it aside. I just covered it with a napkin. But then he says, and you know, aren't we always good at making excuses? Just like my cousin and I, we we wanted to do what we wanted to do. We didn't have time to take the tobacco off the stick. I was afraid of you because you're a severe man. You take up what you did not lay down, reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you out of your own mouth, you wicked servant. Now, please notice something. These first two servants are acclaimed by our Lord to have been good servants. Well done, good servant. But here this man is described as a wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man taking up what I did not lay down, reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank and at my coming? For the fourth time, the master says, I'm going to return. At my coming, I should have received it with interest. And he said to those who stood by, take the pound from him, give it to him who has 10 pounds. And they're amazed. They say, Lord, he has 10 pounds. And then in verse 26, I tell you, now again, remember who's saying this, the Son of God. This is a word from the Son of God. I tell you that everyone who has will more be given, but from him who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slay them before me. Slay them before me. Last Sunday, and I want to quickly run over this again. And these last chapters in Luke, beginning with the verse that begins next, Luke nineteen twenty-eight through the end of chapter twenty-three, Luke describes the last week in the life of Jesus. And I want to quickly run over these again. Okay, we've been studying this on Wednesday night. On Sunday, Jesus enters into Jerusalem triumphantly. Then on Monday through Wednesday in chapters 20, verse 1 through 21, verse 38. Now, I'm sharing this with you. I'm not trying to bore you. I hope in the next two weeks as you and I prepare hearts for Easter, we will read these chapters of Scripture and see what is going on. Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, Jesus is cleansing the temple. He has a lot of issues with the Jewish leaders and they're arguing with him. And he teaches the people in the temple. His last week of his earthly life is focused on people at the temple, people who are coming there to worship. Then on Thursday, there's preparation for the Lord's Supper and Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. That's in chapter 22, verses 1 to 53. And then on Friday, there's the trial, crucifixion, and burial of Jesus. First of all, Jesus is tried before the Jewish leaders. In chapter twenty-two, verses fifty-four to seventy-one. Then, before the Romans, in verse in chapter twenty-three, verses one to twenty-five. Then he is crucified in chapter twenty-three, verses twenty-six to forty-nine. Then he is placed in the grave, chapter twenty-three, verses fifty to fifty-six. Necessarily, the gospel writers are silent except that the fact that the disciples are resting, they're grieving. Because the disciples are hidden on Sunday and they're locked in behind closed doors, I imagine they did the same thing on Saturday, wouldn't you? Knowing that if they crucified your master, what would they do to you next? And then the glorious story of the resurrection Jesus is raised from the dead in Luke chapter 24. Remember that a parable is an earthly story or illustration with a heavenly meaning. And that's where we want to pick up this morning. Look at verse 12. I believe verse 12 is key to understanding this parable, okay? The nobleman in this parable is who? Jesus, the Son of God. The far country that the nobleman goes to is heaven, the abode of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now remember, when Jesus was resurrected, where did he go? He went back to heaven, Acts one 10 and 11 that we read earlier as our verses of the month. Also in verse 12, see that Jesus the nobleman goes there to receive the kingdom. Now, folks, let me point something out. I don't fully understand everything in the Word of God. I cannot, you cannot fully understand everything, but I want to make this just as simple as we can. Jesus is coming back. He's not coming back to be born in a a manger. He's not coming back as a baby. He is coming back as a king of kings and Lord of lords. He's coming back as a lamb that was slain so that he could redeem mankind. And there's a picture of this in Revelation chapter 5. Jesus is sitting on the throne beside the Father. And the Father gives him, and this is a, goes in a lot of detail, but I'm just going to give you the, the brief side of it. Jesus is given the authority to come back to this earth. And he comes back, as John sees in his vision, and then return. Then return. As the nobleman in the parable came back, so the Lord Jesus Christ is coming back again. But let me ask you something. Do you and I believe that? Do we? I'm not trying to be sarcastic. Are we founding our lives on a living Jesus who died on the cross, who was buried, who rose on the third day, ascended into heaven, who reigns in heaven right now, and the Father at the appointed time is going to send him back? Do we believe that? I might have mentioned this before, and and I'm not here trying to criticize others from the pulpit, but I remember doing a funeral in past years and it was not somebody in the church and and one of the family members that that came to the funeral was of another denomination it was a christian denomination and i'm not going to call the denomination because again i don't want you to think i'm trying to be critical but i was told that and, and another minister helped me we did it together and we affirmed the fact that jesus died for us that he was buried, that he rose again on the third day, and he's coming back. And this family member who lived out of town told another family member that she didn't know if there was any such thing as a resurrection or not because her pastor stood in the pulpit and said, I don't know if Jesus was raised or not. I don't know if he's coming back. And folks, I want to tell you by the authority of the Word of God and what Jesus said Himself, Jesus was raised from the dead. Jesus is coming back. There's no doubt according to the Gospels. The Gospels do not end in Jesus being buried in the tomb. The Gospel ends when Jesus... It doesn't end when Jesus... But the Gospel story relates to us that Jesus was raised from the dead. Do we believe that? And, folks, it is, it is the foundation of our faith that Jesus Christ is coming back. Folks, why else would we want to live on this planet? You know, I'm looking forward to that day. I'm looking forward to not having to constantly battle with sin that is in me that wants to win. I, I'm constantly battle, battling the torment in this world where, I, you know, I'm like John, even so, come, Lord Jesus, come get us. How many more murders will we have to hear about? How many more rebellious people will we have to be around that absolutely have no time for our God and our Savior? And God bless them, and may they come to a personal knowledge of Him. Don't you just get tired sometimes? Well, folks, the good news is that Jesus is coming back, and the even better news is He's got a plan for us to stay here until that time when He calls us home. You know why He's leaving us here? You know where he's leaving this church here? To witness for him. Folks, this is why this parable is about. We have been left here to serve God. Let me just... I'm so afraid. I'm a, I know I'm going to run out of time before I get finished. Today, but let me let me just point some things out. Jesus promised that he would go away, but he would return. And let me just give you some examples of this. And we'll go through these quickly. Most of these you already know. Okay, first of all... and I'll, there's, there's many passages in the New Testament that tell us that Jesus is coming again, but let me just give you some, just a few, okay? Number one, I want to give you from his own words. You know these words. We read them at funerals all the time. Listen to this, John 14, 1 through 3. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. I love the King James mansions. If it were not so, would I have told you? Now listen to this. Jesus says, I've told you that I go to prepare a place for you. When I go and prepare a place for you, say this next phrase with me. I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. What do you think that means? (laughs) He's coming back, folks. He's going to prepare a place. And just as sure as he came the first time to die on the cross, he's coming again to take us back to heaven amen in acts chapter 1 verse 11 listen these are the words of the angels speaking to the disciples men of galilee why do you stand looking into heaven this jesus who was taken up from you into heaven read the rest of it with me will come again or come i'm i'm making words up i'm sorry will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven let me just give you some examples how about the apostle paul Folks, not only did Jesus say He's coming back and the angels say He's coming back, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul teaches Jesus is coming back. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, and this is teaching on the Lord's Supper. Paul says, As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death, read with me, until He comes. Listen to first, uh, first Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. Do you have fears about those that have died that you love that were Christians? Well, listen, Paul faced the same thing. They thought Jesus was coming back immediately within the generation. Paul thought Jesus was going to come back before he died. People in Thessalonians were writing to Paul saying, Look, our brothers and sisters, our moms and dads, our children have been dying. Are, are they okay? What's going to happen to them? And listen to what Paul writes back under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But we would not have you ignorant, brethren, concerning those who are asleep. And in Paul's usage, asleep meant dead, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Do you get the picture? Those who have fallen asleep are at home in heaven. And they're going to come back with Jesus one day. For this we declare to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive who are left unto the coming of the Lord shall not precede those who have fallen asleep or died. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the archangels call, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive who are left shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Listen to Second Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. This is now the second letter that I've written to you, beloved, and in both of them I've aroused your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets, the Old Testament, and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. First of all, you must understand this. Now listen to this, folks scoffers will come in the last days scoffing following their own passions and saying where is the promise of his coming can you imagine the early church they were constantly bombarded with people who said you're preaching this message that Jesus is coming back where where is he i was sharing with somebody the other day the, the new truck i have of course you get a subscription to satellite radio and 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 I've gotten in touch with my 60s feelings again. I just want you to know that. And I've been listening for you guys that don't know about the 60s. It was a real day of rock and roll. But anyway, there is a song. There's a song that keeps coming back to my mind. And it's, it's in the year 2525. You remember that song? And one of the lines in that song says, In the year 3535, if God's a coming, he ought to be here by then. And it is a very uh, subtle way of saying, we don't think God's coming back. We don't think Jesus is coming back. Well, folks, Peter said, there's always going to be scoffers, and they're going to tell you you're crazy. If you think a man could live 30 years, die on a cross, be buried, raised again, and then come back again, you're crazy. It hadn't come in 2,000 years. Where is he at? Paul says, Excuse me, Peter says, And where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things have continued as they were from the beginning of creation. They deliberately, listen, this is Peter's response. They deliberately ignore this fact that by the word of God, heavens existed long ago and an earth formed out of water and by means of water through which the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. Now listen to what he said. God created the heavens and the earth. Mankind rebelled. He's talking about in the days of Noah. Mankind rebelled. Noah started building an ark. Nobody would listen to Noah. They made fun of him. He kept saying, God's going to do something. A flood is coming. Save yourself. And they would not believe. And guess what? By the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist have been stored up for fire. There's coming a day of judgment. I know that people don't like to hear about judgment. But folks... We've got to tell it as part of the story. If judgment weren't coming, why did Jesus have to be nailed to the cross? If sin did not bring death, why did Jesus have to shed his blood? But folks, the resurrection of Christ is a sign that if we are in Christ, we are safe. Just like Noah and the ark. We are safe from the judgment of God because we've been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. The earth's being saved up for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men, but do not ignore this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow about his promises. Some count slowness, but is forbearing towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but all reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. When a thief comes, do you know about it? Unless they are a bungler. You don't know about it till after they're gone, do you? And something's missing, something's stolen. Peter said the return of the Lord is going to be like a thief. Where did he get that word from? The Lord Jesus. Then the heavens will pass away with a loud noise, the elements will be dissolved with fire. And the earth and the works that are upon it will be burned since all these things are thus to be dissolved. What sort of persons are you to be in lives of holiness and godliness waiting for hastening the coming day of the Lord. Because of which the heavens will be kindled and dissolved. And the elements will melt with fire. But according to his promise we wait for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore beloved since you wait for these be zealous to be found by them without spot or blemish and at peace. And folks, there's a final mention of Jesus is coming back again. You know what that is? It's the book of Revelation. Whole book, that's what it's about. Jesus is alive. Jesus is coming back. It's remarkable that in the last chapter of the book of uh, Revelation, can y'all tell that I'm I'm trying to push through this? I'm so excited about this. Man, Jesus Christ is coming back. In chapter 22, three times the Lord himself says, I am coming soon. In in verse, this is Revelation 22, verse 7, verse 12, Jesus says, I am coming soon. And in verse 20, surely I am coming soon. Let me ask you something. You and I think we can trust Jesus? Absolutely. He's not going to tell you a lie like a preacher will sometimes over the back of a stick. But you can trust him. Folks, let me fast forward, okay? Because I've got some important points to get to. Jesus called ten people to him and gave out talents. I want to point something out. Throughout his ministry, Jesus was calling people to himself. He was calling them to receive the gospel and be saved. He was calling those that were saved to follow him in discipleship training And after his resurrection and ascension, after his resurrection and ascension, Jesus is calling you and I to receive the Holy Spirit and take the gospel to the entire world. He's calling us. But folks, here are the response of the people in this parable. Steve, let me get you fast. Thank you. In this parable, there are three possible responses to the master. Number one, faithful obedience to him. And that is found in verses 16 to 19. Hold on just a second. I'm gonna catch up here with myself. Faithful obedience is found in verses 16 to 19. Unfaithful obedience is found in verses 20 to 25, and outright rejection and rebellion is found in verses 14 and 27. And folks, you see, Jesus knew that outright rebellion and rejection would happen right away. Let me give you an example of this. In John chapter 9, verse 15, as Jesus is brought before the crowd and Pilate asked, what do you want me to do with this man? They cry out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? And the chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. I was going to read a passage of scripture to you, and I'll do that tonight. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 25, how Paul describes the rebellion of mankind. And then I was going to read in Philippians chapter 2. Will you fast forward to that, Steve? Because I want us to see this passage of scripture. Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. Thank you. Folks, do you and I realize that every one of us will bow in his presence? You realize every, every person will bow in the presence of Jesus. Listen to what Paul says. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow. Now listen to how he, re- he words this. Every knee shall bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. Heaven was for those that had already gone before that were believers. On earth is every generation of people living on the earth. And those under the earth describe those who have died without faith in God and Jesus Christ. And folks, it also, I believe, means Satan, all his demonic forces, and all who have rejected Jesus. Every knee shall bow, and what will they do next? Verse 11. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. Of God the Father. Romans 14, 12 says, all of us shall give an account of ourselves to God. But folks, here's what I'm driving toward, and here's what I want to just spend just a moment on. Jesus is coming again. That's the biblical truth. When we see Him, what will we say? What will we say? Folks, Back up, Steve, to John chapter 20, verse 26. Thank you. Let me give you an example of a man who didn't believe he'd ever see Jesus again. You know him well. He was one of the disciples. His name was Thomas. The first time that Jesus appears to the disciples, he says he was not there, and he says, I won't believe it until I can see where the nails pierced his hands and the spear pierced his side. Well, guess what? Next week, Jesus appeared to the disciples again. Follow as I read this passage, John 20, beginning with verse 26. Eight days later, his disciples were again in the house and Thomas with them. The doors were shut, but Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Look at verse 27. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put your hand and place it on my side. Do not be faithless, but believing. What did Thomas say? My Lord and my God. Is there anything else to say other than thank you, Jesus? Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen yet believe. Steve, before you go to the next slide, hold on just a second would you and I not agree that we'll be like Thomas and we'll say something to the effect, my Lord and my God? If the gospel is the truth, and I believe it is, if Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and I believe he is, what will we say when we see him? But folks, I want to ask you a question. When we see Jesus, what will he say to us? There's a similar parable in Matthew chapter 25. And let me give you the three responses that Jesus gave to those that saw him. Steve, if you go to that next slide. When Jesus looks at you and me, will he say, well done, good and faithful servant? That's Matthew 25:21. Or will he look at us and say, you wicked and slothful, and that word means lazy. Will he say, you wicked and lazy servant. And I pray, dear God, that you'll not, you and I will never hear Jesus say these words to us. Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the evil, for the devil and his angels. Folks, listen. This is a very serious matter. And I'm not trying to scare you. I am not trying to manipulate you. I'm simply trying to tell you the truth according to the words of Jesus Christ himself. One day, we'll see him again. We'll bow in his presence. We'll know for sure that he is the Son of God and the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That he gave himself on the cross for us. That he shed his blood that where our sins might be forgiven. But folks, what's he going to say? Is he going to say, well done, good and faithful servant? Is he going to say, you've been wicked and you've been so lazy? Or will he say, depart from me? Our Lord wants each one of us to know him as our personal savior. And I especially today want to ask you, if you have not yet... Ask Jesus to come into your heart and be your Savior. Would you consider it? Don't do it because I'm asking you to. Do it because Jesus Christ himself is extending that invitation to you. To save you from your sins. To save you from the penalty of sin, which is death. And to give you right standing with him in a place in heaven that he has prepared for you. Yes, I know this sounds old-fashioned. But, folks, it is the truth according to the Lord Jesus Christ. And my Christian brothers and sisters, you know, every day that goes by our life is a little shorter, isn't it? The good news is that as it ends, he's going to be there to take us home. But, folks, we need to be busy for him. We need to be taking the spiritual gifts and abilities that he's given us. And use them in his kingdom's work. And if we're not doing that. Guess what? He's calling us. To become faithful. And to become his witnesses. May the Lord Jesus help us to do that. Let us pray. Father I pray that you'll speak to our hearts. Lord first of all I want to ask you that if there's someone here that that needs to surrender their hearts to you for the first time and ask you to be their savior lord i pray that they would acknowledge that they are a lost sinner and they want a new life a new life not by their own efforts but a new life in christ i pray father today that you'll give them the courage not simply before our church but before the entire world to say i believe I believe that Jesus is the son of God, that he died on the cross to take away my sin. And today I commit my heart and life to him and will follow him. And Father, pray for us as Christians. Lord, many of us have been believers for many, many years. Some of those years have been very faithful Some of those years have produced a lot of fruit for you, but, Lord, perhaps we've grown tired, not just physically, but we've grown tired of spiritual things. We've heard the gospel over and over to the point that it doesn't mean that much to us anymore. And, yeah, we know that we ought to be serving you, but, Lord, it's so many other things that have preoccupied our hearts and our minds. I just pray, Father, that we'll make a new commitment to serve you, until you call us home. And Father, I thank you again for every person that's here. I just pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would speak during these moments of invitation. And I pray, Lord, that we would hear you, not a preacher, not a congregation, but Lord, we would hear you calling to us. And I pray that we'll surrender to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Our hymn of invitation.